This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, we're talking game plans. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today our first guest has an undeniable passion for planning and coordinating luxury experiences. Miss Raven White applies great dedication and attention to detail to producing unique, high-end social and corporate events. Each experience translates her clients' visions into world-class engagements. In addition, I think this is totally awesome, Raven is a luxury liaison to over 500 lavish villas and exclusive estates available for daily and weekly rentals in Greece, Italy, Spain, France, Switzerland, Bali, Thailand, Costa Rica, and the Caribbean. Um, So I cannot wait to learn all about why and how you ended up in these two industries. So welcome to the show, Raven. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in planning. Okay, well, let me just give you a little bit about my background. So I actually went to college for engineering. I was a computer science major. Um, So I did about 15 years in that field. I started off as a system engineer, moved on and progressed in my career to become a project manager Mm -hmm. in the engineering field. And then I just felt like I needed more. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess about age 33, 34, it just wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. I had reached the pinnacle of my career. I didn't, the glass ceiling was right there. Mm -hmm. There was nowhere to punch it open at. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had to really figure out and do some soul searching and figure out what was I made on this earth to do? Mm-hmm. What excited me? What what would make me get up at three in the morning just to work? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was no longer engineering. Right. <laughs> it really wasn't doing it for me any longer. Um, but my my parents always taught me to have multiple strings of income. Mm-hmm. So while I was doing engineering, I also had a job as a consultant on the side. Uh, planning conferences. And so um, I worked for as a consultant for a national organization where I got to plan conferences. And the conference started at the, I guess, the size of 50 people and actually grew to maybe like 2000 people by year 10. And it was um, an annual conference. And we traveled all, you know, around the United States, I want to say. So um, that's really that got the bug for event planning for me. So since you've been doing it, actually, how long have you had your company? A little under four years. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So in that four years, what would you say has been um, your most exciting moment? Hmm. I think my most exciting moment is the most recent moment. So (laughs) um, I think that the ability, because I've always felt that I was born to be more than just a local company um, or to develop just a local company. So now that I've expanded my business to international um, lands, it's really, really exciting for me because I found that there is such a niche and a customer base for using the villas. And many people don't, you know, they vacation and oftentimes they go to all inclusive. Well, we haven't made it to the luxury villas. Well, you we asked still talking me. about the planning. <laughs> you asked, well, if <laughs> you're asking planning. me, let's see, on the event planning side, um, I would say my most exciting event, it's so hard because all of them are certainly unique. Um, 
I did have a favorite. I hate to say this because I'm sure some of my clients will be listening. (laughs) But I did enjoy the one that um, I had a destination wedding. And it was certainly a challenging wedding because I did not take my staff with me Mm. and to to go to another country and to be by yourself and to coordinate a wedding um what it was a hundred guests and so it was a standard size wedding and to have to rip and run in 105 what felt like 105 (laughs) degree weather it you know it took a lot out of me and I remember, you know, but it was such a beautiful wedding. I mean, I posted the pictures on social media and it immediately took off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it was great because I realized that I don't always need my team. I can do it if I need to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was don't just say a, that too loud. Your team probably listening. No. like, wait a second. Don't get <laughs> no, comfortable. No, don't get it twisted. <laughs> I, I have said that in the future, I will no longer do destination weddings by myself. Um but it was it was a very proud moment because, you know, we had some challenges with the staff at the resort. And but regardless of everything that happened, the bride was so pleased with all the ripping and running that I did that day. And everything turned out phenomenal, beautiful. And I was just pleased with the outcome. That's awesome. That's truly awesome. So when you think about um your trajectory from engineering to planning and then moving into this luxury lifestyle uh, space. Did you ever imagine that you would have left corporate America to stand on your own as a woman entrepreneur? Oh, absolutely. That was always the plan when I first started the business. Um, You know, when you I did, I will say that when I first started, I did a vision board and my vision board wasn't uh, three months from now. It wasn't, you know, a year from now. It was this is where I want to end up. Mm -hmm. And as I look at it four years from now and, you know, I put it away, hadn't looked at it in a while, moved and it had more personal things as well as business things on there. And now that I pulled it out recently, maybe like two weeks ago, I looked at it and I was able to like, oh, Wow, I actually had on my vision board Italy, Greece, Spain. Wow. Wow. Seriously. I had it on there in the corner. So when this show airs, I need a picture of that. I can send it to you. (laughs) I can send it to you. But it's quite amazing because I'm a firm believer on what you put down on paper will come to fruition. fruition. Mm -hmm. You don't know when. You don't know how. And I don't think that you really need to figure out necessarily the how you just have to know where you're going right like i heard somebody say it's like going from dc to california Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to know the exact route which states you just know your destination Mm -hmm. and god will figure out exactly how you're going to get there right um position you when i and i can tell you this when i started the company i knew it was going to be event planning and lifestyle management it has shifted a little bit in terms of the type of lifestyle management um But the framework was there. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I wanted to do high end events. I knew that I wanted to service the masses in lifestyle management. There was no I really didn't have a mentor at the time to say, "Okay, Raven, this is what lifestyle management should be. Mm -hmm. So I've really had to take time to develop the idea and make it what I wanted it to be. Now, how did you transition out of the engineering into the event planning. Now, I heard the story about, you know, it was a side gig, but a lot of times it's hard to break away from that security in that paycheck. 
It is. And I think that it's an incremental thing. Okay. I think that, you know, you, you start, um, you have a goal of maybe, you know, in my industry, you can oftentimes, you know, scale back on hours. So you might not be a 40 hour a week worker. You can go down to 30 hours, 20, 10. And that was the pathway that I took. Mm. Um, it just makes it easier to transition full time because, you know, I learned a long time ago that I wasn't ready to fully leap like Steve Harvey said. <laughs> and also, you know, the business has waves. Event event planning, you know, there's high seasons for it, That's just like any anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't ready to 100% in the beginning. I needed, you know, time for the business to ramp up. And quite honestly, sometimes when you first start up a business, there are startup costs that you don't account for um, maybe initially. And then also it takes a while to get a client base. Mm-hmm. Now so, talk to me, like, who are some of your clients that you service uh, today? Um, well, I do brides, of course, for weddings, um, locally and destination weddings. I also have corporate clients. I've worked with professional uh, teams, players from the Panthers. Um, I've done a couple celebrity benefit dinners for them. Uh, recently, I had a 500-person event for Visa for their largest East Coast office. And then I also do intimate events for clients, mm-hmm. dinner parties, things of that nature. So what would you say to Raven, a 10-year-old Raven, who was trying to decide, like, oh, you know, this is what I want to be? Or, like, what did you do? you remember what you wanted to be when you were a young girl? Oh, yeah. I wanted to be an engineer. Oh, you, you I did. Early on. Early on. This is bef- back when basic was taught and, <laughs> like, before C++. <laughs> yeah, like... I knew that, you know, my goal, I've always had a luxurious lifestyle. Like, I was like, I want to go into a career field that makes money. Like, <laughs> I, knew knew. That, I knew that engineering made money. Uh-huh. Um, yes, it, it worked for a while, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, I didn't get the creative side of me, okay. you know, out. And, and I kind of say that, you know, although I did engineering, I progressed into project management, which is very similar Mm -hmm. to event planning. Mm -hmm. I don't claim that I'm an event designer. Mm -hmm. I have great ideas, but I work with a team of vendors to create those actual ideas. Um, I'm more logistics, um, pulling things together. Which is very engineering-like. It is. And people don't always think of it like that, but I'm very logical in thinking. I'm thinking of, you know, how long is it going to get take for her to get to from this location to that location? What, you know, what time do people need to be there to be set up? Like, I'm the on-time calculated mm-hmm. person. What have we missed here? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at big picture, but also small details. Now, how did you morph from... Um, or into, even though I know you said when you did that vision board, you knew at the end of the day you wanted that luxury lifestyle component. How did that come about? I don't know. It was it was probably a progression of who I am just coming out. Mm. Like, you know, there's a lot of personal things in my life that started to develop that I don't think was me. I think that, you know, God put it in me to come out like this is what is supposed to happen. Mm. Um, 
you know, I don't know if you want to go into detail about that, but I can remember uh, <laughs> when I first got out of college, I wanted to get a car. And where'd you go to college? I went to Howard University. H-U. H-U. You know. <laughs> um, shout out to Alpha Chapter Delta Sigma Theta. Um, and Alpha Kappa Alpha <laughs> Sorority Incorporated. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I remember when I first got out of college and... For reasons I don't want to explain, but my credit was not good. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get a car, any car. I didn't care what kind of car it was. <laughs> I just needed a car. And I went to the fifth dealership and I was driving with my mom and we were going to like the f- fifth dealership. And I think it was Acura or Honda or Mazda. Everybody canceled me. Everybody's like, nope, nope, can't get a car. And we were driving and we passed the BMW dealership. I was 22 years old. And I said, Mom, we're going to turn in here and get my car. And she's like, she didn't tell me at the time, but she was. She told me later, oh, I was just thinking, oh, they're going to hurt my baby's feelings, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, every regular car dealership turned me down. And at the time, BMW that night gave me a brand new BMW with low interest. I didn't have to pay the high interest that, you know, other people may have quoted me. And I was like, okay, this is what I was supposed to drive in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't trying to get that, but I had gone to all these previous, right. you know, dealerships and everybody turned me down. Right. So I was like, well, God, this was easy. Right. So if it's meant for you, it's for you. It's for you, right? Right. And so um, that was my first introduction to something luxury at the time. I was 22. Right. Right out of college. Right. Can you imagine? I mean, it was wonderful. Um and the little things throughout my life, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to have this. Mm-hmm. You know, getting my house early. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was very easy. It was a nice house. Mm-hmm. You know, being growing up where I was, I grew up in inner Baltimore, mm-hmm. inner city Baltimore. And I really wasn't surrounded by that. Right. But things started to appear in my life. And I was like, oh. They were attracted to Attracted you. to me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that helped me to realize that I really like the luxurious lifestyle. And not only that, but I wanted to offer it to other people. Okay, but I want to know, if I want to get <laughs> into the luxury lifestyle business, how do I go about doing this? I well, feel like you're trying to keep it a secret. Well, you talk to me. <laughs> you become one of my clients. So, um, like you kind of mentioned it before. So we have luxury villas in as private estates available for clients use them for personal vacations they use them for corporate retreats um some of my clients use them for experiential marketing purposes and of course to host amazing events Mm -hmm. so that kind of coincides also with the event planning side of my company um in addition to the villas we also have um, access to yachts that you can rent on a uh, hourly basis Mm -hmm. so if you're in one of the countries and Mm -hmm. you want to pop some bottles as they like to say (laughs) that's awesome um now how how large are these villas how many bedrooms how many people do they sleep because you know our woman behind the business retreat is in november so is it something that would potentially host um well they actually it it depends on the location so i would say a good average is four to eight bedrooms so that would be um probably eight to 16 people um we do have some single bedrooms Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't necessarily call them the villas they may be condos and nice areas Mm -hmm. um but you know 
it's a range. It just depends on the country that you would call me about mm-hmm. and then what's available at the time. But primarily four to eight eight bedrooms. Now, how hard is it for you to maintain um, running both segments of your business? Right now, it's okay, okay. because I don't. I'm I'm not at capacity yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm very good at you know the project management side mm-hmm. of myself. Um, in responding very quickly to people. And then, you know, I respond quicker than they get back to me. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's not like a continuous business right. rolling in, you know. Right. Um, I do well with scheduling meetings properly. And I have a toddler at home, so I have to be good at that. Oh, yes. Yeah. How old is baby? He's two. Nice. And he doesn't want to hear mommy. Like, I get told all the time, put your phone down. Yeah. You know, when I'm home, I'm home. So. Yeah. Um. Now, what is your favorite part about being a woman entrepreneur? I enjoy the freedom of it. I enjoy that it's that it allows me to be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy networking with other women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many brilliant people I know in the business world that are women. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes we focus on men. And even in corporate America, it's like, you know, the men are at the top. But in my line of business, I see a lot of women killing the game. It's amazing. What would you say is the hardest? Pushing past fear. Hmm. That's the hardest. I mean, like you said, there's waves in business. And I think that, you know, sometimes people want to give up. And, you know, we all have those moments, you know, where you're like, is it really worth it? to be quite honest. But, you know, the hardest part is pushing past that, you know, for the breakthrough. And have you found that you've experienced, especially like in an international business, biases as being a woman of color going over and running things? Um, I haven't thus far. Okay. Um, but then again, when, when people initially talk with me. I don't know if they realize that not only am I a woman, I'm an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, overseas, a lot of times they are um, not African-American. They may be, you know, right, you know, uh, white or right, yeah, right, something. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I haven't found that um, initially. Up, now, I don't know what they do when we get off the telephone or <laughs> Skype or anything. <laughs> but initially, no, they're, they're pretty pleasant. And when you think about um, where you want to go, that vision board, I know you said that a lot of the different images you've seen or you've uh, already started to see the manifestation of them. What's still left to happen? Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, I want to build my company so that I can own a uh, owner's box at the uh what's the yeah wherever yeah you changed the name from the verizon center out oh, to capital but, one. yes capital one Arena. but i i did at one point in time have floor seats to uh the wizards game for the season but my goal and that's on my vision board is to own an owner suite and to not you know think anything about it i love it because I, I love sports what's your favorite sport basketball no yeah yeah you don't know. basketball football What's I'm your- equal, but right now football is down. We know what's happening with Colin. <laughs> We're not really fans of football right now. So <laughs> basketball is winning. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up our segment, but stay with us. We're going to bring in our next guest. 
But before we do, up next, we're going straight into this week's Tech Talk. Stay with us. It's that time in the show where we are going to talk tech. And I'm so excited to have Ms. Jaleesa Johnson, who is the president and chief technology officer at Secure Tech uh, 360, um, based here in the Washington, D.C. area, to talk tech with me. Hey, Jaleesa. Hey, Angel. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Awesome. So tell me, like, what are we going to talk about today? What's the tech app that you have for me today? I am going to talk about Podio. 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 And, and what is Podio? It's a Podio, unique name. <laughs> Podio is a business management and team productivity app. Ooh. It is a mobile app. It is also available on desktops and PCs, laptops. So it's it's very fluid. So is it more, um, does it have better functionality as a mobile app? Because I feel like we're always on the go. How does it, how does it align um, mobile-wise? Um, there are some features that are not available on the mobile side that you get, obviously, That's in the right. desktop side. But the main features for productivity, scheduling, groups, um, maintaining your calendars, maintaining um, tasks and deliverables, you can take it mobily with you. So how beneficial is it to have a system like Podio? Because um, a lot of times I feel like companies, especially small businesses, they don't take the time to establish um, like a productivity type platform. So how important is that? It's very important. It's really all about your project management and managing your resources, your time and even cost. And so do you currently use like a productivity platform? I use Podio. Oh. We are still Podio fans across our enterprise and also our customer. Okay. Now, is there a fee associated with Podio? There is a fee. There's a per license fee, or you can get it as a 23 to 50 user. So it goes all the way up to enterprise services. Okay. So if I am a startup, um, but... You know, I have freelancers go out on various projects. Is it something that's beneficial for a startup company or is this more something for, you know, your larger type firms? It's free, I believe, for the first 10 users. Mm -hmm. So for startup companies, it is awesome, awesome, awesome. It is what we started with and we have grown out to um, an enterprise license. So you can do everything and it has tracking time, everything you need, especially if you have a lot of freelancers. Now, this is my last question. Tell me the number one benefit of a, a platform such as Podio. Tracking. Well, that's because you're an engineer and you're a metrics girl. Yeah. And also, you know, I like to have live updates. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for introducing us to Podio. If you want to learn more about Podio, you can visit us online at wbbtalk.com. Welcome back to The Woman Behind the Business. Our next guest has transformed the reputation of personal finances into a social experience by making it engaging, trendy, and easy to understand. Dominique Broadway is an award-winning financial planner, personal finance coach, speaker, finance expert, entrepreneur, and the founder of Finances Demystified and the Social Money Tour. She has a strong passion for working with young professionals, entrepreneurs, and people of all ages to bring their dreams to reality. Dominique began working at such prestigious financial firms as UBS Financial Services and Edelman Financial Services straight out of college. She's assisted clients with portfolios upwards of $10 million. I had the privilege of sitting on a panel with Dominique last year and I was blown away by her down-to-earth demeanor and adept financial knowledge so I'm honored to have you in studio with me today thank you so what 
took you to Houston because I know you're no longer <laughs> in D.C. You want to move to Houston on me. You know what? It's, everyone says, like, why would you move from D.C. to Houston? Um, I actually went down there for um, the Black a Black Enterprise pitch competition in... Um, May. Yeah, mm-hmm. May. And uh, a startup that I was formerly a part of, we were went down there, actually won the competition, and I just liked it. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally got off the plane, and I was FaceTiming my mom, and I was like, oh, mom, this is, I think I want to live here. You ever have, like, this feeling? It was, like, really weird. And I knew I wanted to move from, live, move somewhere else, because I have been living in the DMV for my entire life. Um, and so it was either going to be Houston or L.A., and I got to Houston and, like, loved it, and literally flew, flew from Houston to L.A., and decided that I really just wanted to be in Houston. So I just moved to Houston nice so how long have you been out there Um, I've been out there since um, August Um, so I moved there uh, like three days three or four days before Hurricane Harvey came Oh, perfect Lord. timing. Um, <laughs> so of course I'm like questioning my entire life. Like, <laughs> um, so literally it was like three or four days before Hurricane Harvey came. Um, but I was basically there for two weeks. I had moved there during that time because I had two weeks off as far as speaking. So I do tons of public speaking. Um, so I had a two week break in my speaking schedule and ended up being pretty much stuck in my new apartment with no furniture for two weeks. Um, and then as, as soon as the airports opened back up, basically I was I was back on the road again. And so. Um, I was pretty much traveling nonstop, sold my condo here in Maryland, and then really feel like I got settled down once I went to closing on my condo December 8th. So um, I say more distance December. <laughs> I've been like back and forth. So it's been interesting. So outside of the public speaking, yeah. what, what are we doing in Houston? What, what do you have going on? Um, so it's interesting. So because I have this, you know, online based company, it doesn't really matter where I am. Mm-hmm. So I interestingly have not done anything in Houston. I basically just live, live there. there. So even like with my company when I was here, mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like I have a brick and mortar store. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, so right. it's just like whatever. I'm just in Houston. Um, so I did just open or get an office um, in Houston. At WeWork, which I'm really excited about. So now I feel like I have like some space. Some, some space and ground there. Um, I think I'm gonna have my first speaking engagement in Houston um, the end of uh, February. So we need to get confirmation. That's really the first thing I've ever done in, in Houston. Houston. <laughs> um, and I've like spoke everywhere else. I've never spoken in Houston, which is like weird. So, so talk to us <laughs> about your online business. Yeah. So basically what I do is I work with millennials, entrepreneurs, and creatives, helping them to understand their finances and demystify them so they can bring all their dreams to reality. So as you mentioned in the introduction, I was formerly a financial planner and stockbroker working with high net worth clients and realized that there was this huge gap of like, if you have tons of money, sure, we're here with financial information. If you don't, it's like, call us when you get some money. And so I wanted to fill that gap. So mm-hmm. I'm basically, like I said, working with millennials, entrepreneurs, and cre- um, creators, helping to, to fill that gap for them. So helping them with, um, a, we're gearing away from the one-on-one, but still doing a little bit more, some of the one-on-one financial planning, online courses, digital products, um, partnering with a lot of brands to mm-hmm. make finance fun and sexy and exciting. Um, in addition to, like I said, the speaking engagements and, and things of that nature. So it's more of a financial education and, and, and planning company is kind of what it turned into. So tell me, is there a difference between having a financial planner mm-hmm. and a personal finance coach? There is. So uh, well, I, w- I will say this. It kind of depends on what, what their angle is. I consider myself a financial planner and a coach. Okay. And so a financial planner typically um, is going to help you with managing like your investments and creating that financial plan overall, right? And versus a financial financial coach, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to go more into the budgeting. We're going to try to figure out why you have such a bad relationship with money. We're going <laughs> to smack you in your hand when you're overspending all your money. And so a typical financial planner is not going to go that deep with you. 
um, and helping you kind of fix those those money Bad habits. Yeah, issues. So, so you're like a money therapist. Yeah, kind of like that. I think I need a money therapist. Yeah, yeah. I was I was literally on the phone this morning uh, talking to one of my clients, and it was like who I've had for a while and her boyfriend broke up with her and like she's on the phone crying and I'm like this is only my job but it's like literally but it's like you know interesting because it's like oh well she's on the phone crying because her boyfriend broke up with her but believe it or not that's going to have a huge impact on her finances now they're no longer splitting the rent and so you see how it all flows into everything Um, and so you know it's but I also feel it it means a lot that people feel that comfortable where they they share their whole life with me because I mean honestly to help someone with their finances you do need to know every single thing going on in their life Yeah. and what do you think is like one of the main pitfalls that you see with startups or entrepreneurs Mm, with startups um (laughs) i think with startups or entrepreneurs and i think they can entrepreneurs have startups but not all uh entrepreneurs entrepreneurs are startups startups, you Mm -hmm. know but i think one of the biggest things are i think startups where they mess up is that they're sometimes too focused on fundraising and not focused on revenue Mm -hmm. if you have the revenue it's really easy to fundraise Mm -hmm. honestly um but i think entrepreneurs it's another thing there where they're not they're too afraid to to sell and it's like people sometimes frown upon salespeople it's like oh they're trying to sell me something but selling is what makes the world go around like we're buying (laughs) everyone's selling you're getting sold to every day and we're buying we're purchasing something every day so i think entrepreneurs are always so caught up on oh i make this pretty thing and i made it and i have the best website but it's like have you sold to anybody does anyone know what you do like when i first started my company i was in these dc streets letting everybody knew (laughs) everyone knew what i did like when anytime someone thought of personal lines they were like dominique oh call dominique like and that was just the goal they thought about millennials and finance i wanted to think about me um but i had to like remove the the fear of like being scared and just letting people know what i do and this is what my services are and and that's where entrepreneurs mess up and that's why they go broke because nobody nobody knows what you nobody knows what they can buy from you and even if they know what to buy Mm -hmm. from you i think one of the biggest pitfalls that i see um within our woman behind the business network is pricing yeah a lot of times people are so afraid to price or to have an idea of, okay, this is a fair price yeah. or this is my price or this is why my prices are higher. So how do you help gauge people and teach them with that? So I don't necessarily focus specifically on the business entrepreneurs with setting the pricing, mm-hmm. but a lot of times with my entrepreneur clients, um, helping them with their p- business and personal, sometimes it does come down to that. Mm-hmm. So pricing is important. Like I went broke because I didn't price my services right. Mm-hmm. Like literally was on top financially and literally started my business and went broke because mm-hmm. I was not pricing well. And so I think, you know, a lot of times with with pricing in when I took a step back and reevaluated, I did research on seeing like what other financial planners or personal financial coaches in my space we're charging right and then um sometimes tacking on a little bit more because we are in dc versus someone who's in like you know kansas city Iowa. right yeah something like that um but in addition to that really thinking about about my time and and like you know something even like like i don't do any in-person meetings at all mm-hmm. i only do phone or video it's it, it you get to pay like to get me out the house is a lot of money nowadays mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so it's like one of those situations where i was going out and meeting clients but it's like it's if it's an hour to get there and an hour to get back home you only have an hour with them you're really spending three hours you're not actually spending just that one hour for the meeting so thinking about things like that um really helped me but also taking a step back and figuring out how much money i wanted to make mm-hmm. every month or how much money i needed to, to pay my bills and then factoring and working backwards saying okay i need to bring in x amount of clients this month or 
you know, with with now, I'm focusing more on digital services and monthly subscription. How many new people need to come in every single month to keep that subscription uh, rate growing and things of that nature? So one of the things that I thought was so awesome Mm -hmm. when uh, we spoke on the panel together was when you gave the the numbers and Mm -hmm. you were like, okay, look, (laughs) even if you're only charging $25, you need to figure out what show what where do you want to be at the end of the year? Yeah. And if it's twenty five dollars that you're charging, how many twenty five dollars do you need? Do you need yeah. to get to this bottom line? And and break it up into a day like a, a I like to break it up to a monthly, mm-hmm. a weekly, and a daily number. I have daily sales goals that I have to hit. Mm-hmm. Like even when I was on my trip, I'm checking like how's my sales going? Like daily goals that have to be hit for me to reach this bigger goal that I'm trying to make. Yeah. Um and I think entrepreneurs a lot of times like we are some of us are creative i don't know i'm in finance so i consider myself creative um but we're so creative <laughs> that we don't think about the numbers and it's just mm-hmm. like oh you know, like i said oh i make pretty flowers that's great but how many flowers do you need to sell girl like come mm-hmm. on like you know what i mean right, like that right. ain't gonna work right. um but i think another thing i was reading something online and it was saying how people price based on what they feel as though they can afford so like if it, if they're a lot of entrepreneurs are broke, right? Mm-hmm. A broke entrepreneur. And they're like, well, I'm only going to charge this because this is all I can afford to pay. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Well, you have to think about who's your target audience. Right. And I mean, I remember I kept increasing my prices and nobody was really bucking at them. They were just like, okay, mm-hmm. this is, especially coming with a price confidently, I think. That right. So if you're like, oh, well, I mean, I guess you can pay me 600 versus right. saying, here, for $600, I'm going to help you fix all of your financial issues in three months. Right. Who are you going to buy from? The person who's like, oh, Oh, I'm gonna do this, or the person that's like, uh, okay. yeah. So I think that yeah, a lot of times it comes down to confidence too. Now, on your journey mm-hmm. into uh, finance, where did you, or how did you determine that finance was a passion of yours? Um, I think like starting from childhood, I always really liked money because for me, it wasn't like a lot of times people associate money with like being greedy and stuff like that I always associated money with freedom so I felt like if you have money you can do what you want to do when you want to mm-hmm. and I just remember and I was I was I was a spoiled child but I remember asking for stuff and my mom was like no and I'm like why not like right. I really I want this and I realized that okay I gotta have my own money right. for me to get what I want um and then also after that just really you know, I was one of those kids who I would get like birthday and Christmas money and like save most of it mm-hmm. and like hide it somewhere. And I was just always really intrigued with, I knew, I always felt even early on that having this money, um, have my own money kind of provided that like kind of cushion to do what I want when I wanted. Um, and then growing up and, um, you know, really kind of trying to understand like how were the rich getting richer. And it was pretty much two ways. It was via the stock market and real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I need to get into all these things Um, and just researching more and more and just realizing that like you can really not just about being wealthy and doing what you want when you want to, but you can help so many other people when you have money. And so I think it was a combination of all those different things of trying to understand money, having a better relationship with it and figuring out what I can do to change, you know, even generational wealth in, in my family. What are two things that people can do to have a better relationship with money? Um, I think one of the things they can do is really to take the time and look at their money. Mm-hmm. Like, legit look at their money. Sometimes um, you're afraid. I know. you be afraid. <laughs> you be like, okay, this credit yeah. card statement, uh, I gotta go look in this bank account. And we've, we've all been there. Like, I've been there before, like, after a too, too fun of a weekend, and I'm like, oh gosh, I do not want to open this app because <laughs> I don't know what it's going to say. Like, you, we've all been there. It's like, Lord, just yes, please Lord. let the number still be at 2,000. You know what I mean? Please. Cause, cause don't let it go below that. Don't let it go below that. You open it and be like, how the hell did it get to 1,300? You know um, you know what I mean? It's like, I thought I spent $100 this weekend. 
Um, and that's scary. So I think taking the the action of like literally getting in the process of looking at your money every single day. So I tell my clients a lot of time, like we look at Snapchat, Snapchat, Snapchat Instagram, IG. Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I don't know, twenty times a day. If you just took one of those times and looked at your bank account, that's all I'm asking. Like when you think of looking at Instagram, if you could just stop for a second and look at your bank account, that's all I ask for. And they get into that simple habit and like they really start to develop a better relationship with it because they're not scared anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the things you can do is just try to make even a small notion of looking at your finances mm-hmm. every day. And you'd be surprised. People do not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing, too. This is something I have all my clients do is think about like what their first relationship with money was because your first relationships or your first um, kind of interactions with money with your family and things of that nature have a huge impact on how you manage your money now. So mm-hmm. if you grew up with your mom being like, don't answer the phone because this might be a bill collector or, um, you know, don't um, no, you can't have anything. You know, money doesn't grow right. in trees. and You're like, oh, no. You know, so sometimes it creates these negative relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you can kind of figure out like the relationship that you had, you can kind of figure out how you can fix it now and then also make sure you're not transferring those um, bad, bad habits. habits onto your kids mm-hmm. or your, your loved ones. Because people do that quick, like mm-hmm. mess up a whole generation. You got a whole generation of broke folks just because <laughs> every like no one ever had a good relationship with money. Right. So. so what is one good thing that you can do to ensure that you're creating mm-hmm. a good habit and, and teaching your children or people in your household how to have and develop good money habits so for me i was i was very fortunate where my my mom my mom or dad didn't go to college but Mm -hmm. my they were both entrepreneurs one legally and illegally but whatever the other (laughs) my mom she also was an accountant um and so my mom always had conversations with me about money not like okay i'm having money issues or whatever but just like i would sit down with her every month like back in the day when we write checks and stuff mm-hmm. and we would write checks and she was like this is how you write a check and we write checks together and she would show me how she would balance her yeah. checkbook and it was just once a month and i was you know or a couple times and just that process made me understand like mom goes out and she works mm-hmm. and she makes money and the money doesn't grow on cheese and now we have to take this to keep the lights on and now i want like fruit roll-ups so she can buy my fruit roll-ups or i want <laughs> you know shoes that light up or whatever right. you know what i'm saying and i got into that process and so as i got older it was never just like this stuff is magically appearing in the right. house you had an appreciation i had a huge appreciation and even like as i got older to to high school and things of that nature you know i I was just very aware. And so that, I think that one thing really changed me and my money. So when I got my first job out of college, and I bought my first condo before I graduated college because I was always a good saver because I always had this positive relationship with money. Um, as soon as the first thing I did was um, create a, a budget, like the first thing I did. So I graduated college with a condo with no student loan debt. And I had money saved. You make me feel like I gotta work on my <laughs> my relationship with but, money. But, but you know, but I honestly, need to take money on a date. No, but it's all because, like, seriously, <laughs> that's why I tell people have like money dates, like at least twice a month. If you get paid twice a month, have a money date. Like, get a glass of wine and sit down and look at your finances. And I think that's something that's like really, like, seriously, I just feel like be, being my mom doing that for me like had a huge impact. Because when I graduated, everybody else was going back home, their finances was all messed up, and I was like, we was all at the same parties. Like, what, what happened? <laughs> what were y'all doing? I thought I thought everyone did this, and I. I realized they didn't right and i didn't come from the wealthiest household it was just those conversations but that's what makes dominique probably so awesome well thank you all this all that jesus in me <laughs> now do you think that it's important for 
entrepreneurs to have some type of financial advisement? Um, yeah, I think they need it more than everybody else. I mean, really? Yeah, I think entrepreneurs, you know, and it's weird because I'm like financial planner and an entrepreneur, so it's like weird. Mm-hmm. But, um, so who's we, your financial advisor? So, <laughs> my grandfather. Oh, I love it. My grandfather. Um, he's always been my like go to person. Um, like I said, he's not the wealthiest guy, but he's been very smart with his money mm-hmm. um, and created wealth for us. The family. Yeah, right. you know what I mean? Like I said, he's no million billionaire, but he he's done well. And so he's my financial advisor. In addition to that, my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom is really good with her money as well. I don't have like a formal financial advisor because I can, you know, do a lot of other things. Um, but those are the people that I go to when I need uh, financial advice. And I also have mentors who are like millionaires who if I have like other questions. But I think as far as entrepreneurs, you need to have someone because as entrepreneurs, we get so caught up in the day-to-day. Like I said, we forget about the finances a lot of times. Um, and also too, if you're either you know, at the stage where you're, you're, you're raising your seed round or your series A round for your, for your company, um, you're bringing on this half a million or million dollar investment. You need someone that you can talk to about this. Cause a lot of times you're coming in with a lot of money real quick. And it's like, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, I know I work with a lot of people who are like, um, bloggers and influencers and they make a lot of money mm-hmm. and they're getting these checks. They might get a check for 40 grand to, to work with a, with a brand. And they're like, never had this much money before you know what i'm saying like most people ain't just got a forty thousand dollar check just to go stand out you know in the cold and take pictures you know what i mean and and with for little work and um and so i think a lot of times they need it a lot more because they have those influxes where they may go a month or two and not make any money then they may make 80 grand in Mm -hmm. three months you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying and so i think that they needed um a lot more (laughs) i think i can agree with that yeah now what would you say was one of your most difficult um, times in leaving the security of working mm-hmm. for Fortune 500 or one of these large firms yeah. to go out and just be Dominique Broadway? Um, the most difficult? Uh, I think leaving was easy. Okay. Leaving was easy because I was always a good saver and I had a lot of money saved. So I was comfortable. Like I had, you know, like, kind of like a few money. Like I had that. I was good. Right. <laughs> um, I think it was difficult. So in my, in my field, because I was a licensed financial advisor, I couldn't have like an outside business, mm-hmm. um, doing oh. this. Yeah. It was a right. conflict of interest. So I always tell a lot of people, if you have a business idea and you have a, a uh, traditional nine and five try to work both mm-hmm. it's it's a blessing because you're nine and five can support your your dream mm-hmm. i didn't have that i didn't have that, that luxury i had to, it was one of the others like if you want to stay here you have to do just this you can't be having no extra businesses unless you're going to make like cupcakes or something um i had a friend who literally she she did she worked for our firm and she wanted to just do bartending part-time because she was trying to save extra cash she had to go through like weeks and weeks of paperwork which was <laughs> just to get approved wow. for that um but for me once i quit like when i quit i was fine once I quit, probably a year in, year and a half in, now went broke. That's when it got pretty ugly. Um, that was that was a, that was a tough time for me because one, I never been broke to be honest. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we weren't we didn't really struggle growing up, and if we was, I didn't know. Right. Um, and I was always so good with money, um, but it was. You know that this go then you go through this whole thing where you're mad at God, like, and I know God made me quit my job, like, because it was it was like I had I ain't had nothing I didn't have no business to start, like I just quit and just figured I would 
start something. Um, and so that's how I knew it wasn't me. Right. Um, and now I know it's it's all God because now like my life is so great. I'm like, well, this is so cool. Like I get to do this every day. But um, yes, and then you go through that thing where you're you're mad at God because you weren't you know you, you weren't pricing yourself the right way. I didn't have a real plan. I started my business in a week. Um, all these things that happen. And then, you know, but you're struggling financially, but you have your clients who are like, oh my goodness, Dominique, you helped me do this, 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 my credit is going up. And I'm like, awesome for you, but I'm (laughs) broke over here. Broke. (laughs) Trying not to lose my condo, you know what I mean? But I'm happy you bought one. That's awesome. (laughs) And it was weird. So Mm -hmm. then I, you know, you go through that whole like imposter syndrome when you feel like, yes, I'm giving all this good advice and I'm helping everyone, but I can't help myself. And it was Mm -hmm. a mental block. Um, and so I had to get over that mental block. And so I went to my financial advisor, my grandfather. I never forget, I had called my grandfather and my mom. And I'm like, I got something to tell y'all. And they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm like really broke. Like, <laughs> I ain't hear my mortgage in months. Like, and it was weird. And they're just like, really? you? Because I've always been so on top of my stuff. But it was, you know, it was you get into this path as an entrepreneur where you're like, nah, it's good. I'm going to get it next month. I'm going to hit it next month. I'm going to hit it next month. Wells Fargo didn't like that. They weren't a fan of that, right? Mm-hmm. But so the mortgage starts piling up, the bills start piling up, and it's got to the point where I was just like, I can't do this anymore, mm-hmm. and I almost lost everything. And so I remember quitting my job, and people, and I was like, oh, worst case scenario, Carl get repossessed, and you know, lose my condo. And I started facing all this stuff, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. So my car literally got repossessed. I got it back, but it got repossessed, <laughs> and my house went into foreclosure, and I didn't lose it. I I didn't lose anything. Worked everything out, but it was like I faced all my biggest fears, mm-hmm. and still grew the company during that time but I learned my most valuable financial lesson that I've ever learned in my entire life because um, now I knew how to help people who was going through that versus before I was only helping multimillionaires right and then investing in wealth management and portfolio creation and now I can help people whose credit have gone to, to crap I can help people who um, is you know behind on their bills I know how to negotiate and build your credit back up to go for your credit drop down to 500, build it back up to seven. I know how to do that because I did mm-hmm. it for myself. And so I got this whole level, a different um, level of education. So in the moment, I'm crying like, Jesus, why? You know, but now I look back, I'm like, I get it. I understand. I have a new level of education that was worth way more than my little bachelor's and master's degree right, that I right. have. So that was probably the hardest part, but it was um, the defining point for me as a woman mm. as an entrepreneur um and also in really understanding my purpose and how long have you had your business um about four years four years and that happened at about about two year years and a half. ago yeah yeah so i got out of that about two about two years ago but it went in at that year and a half point yeah it was rough so we are just about at our yeah. Moments for the Valley um, section of the show, which mm-hmm. I feel like you kind of share. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in the Valley. <laughs> but maybe you have another Valley yeah. moment that we can um, talk about. Um, but before we go to our Valley moments, we are going to go to our health tips with Dr. Tia Hill. We have the dynamic Dr. Tia Hill in studio with us for today's WBB health tips. And today we are talking about mind over matter. Ladies, how many times have you felt like, ooh, I got this headache. Ooh, it's mixed with a cough. Ooh, my hands is trembling. And then you go to WebMD and you're like, ooh, I got something crazy. Mm -hmm. How often do you deal with that? Every day. (laughs) Every day. It's really bad. So what I, <laughs> everyone overdiagnoses themselves. 
they have a symptom. Um, you know, you eat something, you hear something, you're watching the news, you feel something. And then thanks to the great man of Google and WebMD, people read symptoms. And what most people don't understand about symptoms is that 90% of all symptoms mimic another diagnosis. Mm. So you may have um, palpitations, you may have sweaty hands, you may have calminess, clamminess, you may have blurred vision or altered mental status. However, that doesn't mean you're going into a diabetic coma. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's just really understanding the difference between stress, burnout versus hmm, maybe I've um, worked too much. Maybe I do have just regular food poisoning. I mean, that still is a very prevalent. You know, you're not dying. <laughs> just flushing out your system. Now, how often I know you said like every day you have people come in and they're they've self-diagnosed themselves. Right. But how many times are they actually accurate with their self-diagnoses? Um, it depends on the severity. Okay. I would say if it's something that has been a persistent issue, then they start, you know, I can hear more like, look, this is what's going on. Because even in the age of WebMD, you know your body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you say, hmm, I have this this pain in my right shoulder and it just won't go away and you notice the way you move, that's different. But it takes a little bit of time of persistence and the rule out of other diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, hmm, was it a sprained muscle? Is it a torn ligament? And you keep hearing like, no, no, you've had your MRI, CAT scan. Then it's like, okay, maybe something is going on. And that's when we discover that that person was right. Now, what should people do? Um, what do you encourage them to do to kind of steer clear of doing these self-diagnoses? One of the things I would tell you to do is always think about like what you've done that, that day. Um, you know, if someone, prime example is food poisoning. If you did go out to eat at a restaurant and you had some meat or you had something that was stale, remember what you did in the day prior to just saying, oh, this is, you know, some catastrophic stomach cancer that someone else just got recently diagnosed with. Um, I would also tell you to to wash your hands. Like if you know that you're doing your basic hygiene, you know that you're pretty much keeping yourself up. Drink your fluids. Don't drink after people. Make sure that you're keeping yourself together. If you're out with the kids, make sure that their hands are clean. That's the first basic health precautionary measure that a lot of people miss. It's just washing your hands. So do you ever recommend, hey, just call your doctor instead of Google? Always. But oftentimes it's very hard to get in touch with your doctor unless you have a private physician that you're able to get in touch with. Um, Definitely go to a medic clinic. You can always go to patient first. Um, That's where you can get in and out fast. And if you do have a good hospital relationship, go to your local ER. Okay, awesome. Great information. I'm sure our audience will be very appreciative of the information that you're sharing with us. Um, If you want to learn more about Dr. Tia Hill and other information that she wants to share with you, you can learn more at WBBTalk.com. So now is our time of the uh, show when we go into our moments from the valley. So, Raven, you have your moment from the valley you would like to share with us? Well, you know what? It's so funny because I think my moment in the valley was the very beginning. Mm. Because we all assume when we first start our businesses that we put the website out, we set up our social media pages, and the clients will come. And Dominique kind of, you know, spoke on that, you know, in her story. But mine was, it was very tough because... I put all that information out there and, you know, I, I felt like I could rule the world. And the first client did not knock until seven months into my business. Wow. And throughout wow. that time, I was just like, oh, <laughs> you 
you know, what am I going to do? You know, I, I know this is really my calling. And, and I was focused on the event side of my business. So um, I wanted to start off with doing weddings. So I just figured that getting the wedding, the bride and groom, I did bridal shows, um, several bridal shows. I put out, I think I added in the knot. A magazine. So I was really outside, you know, publicizing my skill set and my business, but nobody came knocking at first. Wow. And seven so, months. That's. Yeah, seven months. Nobody wow, called. Wow. <laughs> um, people were excited. You know, friends were like, yeah, you know, they're sharing, but the actual paid client did not come for seven months. And when that came, I mean, there was times I was like, well, maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. God is telling me this isn't your, your destiny. This is not what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I broke through the fear and I got my breakthrough because that first client that um, hired me said, Raven, not only do I want you to do my wedding, but I want you to do it in 60 days, full service (laughs) bride. So I had to find her venue. I had to select the flowers. I had to put together um, all the details of her wedding in 60 days, which for those who do not know who are not married or who have never um, planned a wedding most brides take at least a year a year to nine months so I was really doing it in warp speed <laughs> and so this was the test I look at now that mm-hmm. God was saying okay I'm gonna show people how good you are not only did I do her wedding in 60 days but that wedding was featured in Essence magazine wow so my first wedding my first client wow. getting myself out there was on was online Essence and in print that's so awesome. that's really how I got my name out there the masses it and was a blessing. How, how much was that first uh client how much how did, much did you make from that one? Oh, i think she paid i want to say seventy five hundred dollars that's good for a first client yeah. so <laughs> that's really good yeah all right thank you for sharing your moment from the valley you're welcome thank you thank you and dominique you have a different moment oh, from the valley and so many moments in the valley I know. um oh as an entrepreneur you know i think you hit the valley at least once a day you know <laughs> I mean, it is, I don't think it matter how much how much money you start making, you you still have those valley moments. I think, um, I mean, like I shared my my going broke story, which was like my darkest, deepest valley that I never want to go back to. Um, but I think even last year in twenty seventeen, I had some some valley moments again that were kind of shocking, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I started out and having this. You know, starting this business, which I'm pretty sure God put on my heart, going broke, being mad at God, bouncing back, and then building the business and, and financially getting super comfortable again and helping people. And, you know, now I'm a influencer and, you know, all these things. And now I have these new projects where I am... Um, I'm speaking, you know, mm-hmm. I have 40, 47 speaking engagements just the year before last. I didn't even count last year yet. So I'm traveling all the time. I'm speaking. Um, I'm now I'm doing brand um, work with brands and stuff I never dreamed of that I love. But then mm-hmm. it's kind of like, whoa, I wasn't 100% happy. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit because I'm like, well, am I ever going to be happy? Because now, like, money isn't an issue anymore, right? And so now it's like this other issue where I'm like, oh, God. I love traveling, but I'm so tired of being on planes and I'm just always on the go, always on the go. I can never sit down. That gets really tiring and actually is very lonely Mm -hmm. because you spend a lot of time in airports when you're gone for sometimes three weeks at a time. 
you're literally it's like you're only coming home to wash clothes Mm -hmm. like literally like cars just sitting i'm like mom can you go to my house and start the car and just cut the fresh the house up just something you know yeah just opening windows like and that was my life and i realized i wasn't a hundred percent happy with that and i was surprised um and so i had to take a step back which was this summer uh, when i decided i wanted to move to houston and really like start to restructure my business and, and restructure what i wanted my business to look like and I realized I love the speaking because the money is really really good um and I love the brand partnerships but I wasn't as in love with working with clients one-on-one as I used to be mm-hmm. and so I had to completely restructure that and so I don't know if it's the deepest darkest valley but it was a valley for me because I was um I think we've all been somewhere where you're like if I can just get here mm-hmm. I'll be fine if I can just get, get here and then and you're still not fine and then even with me moving to Houston that move did not go as planned at all Right. At all. Um, I had, I'm a planner, obviously, by nature, and planned it out where this, the, the condo was selling three months and it ended up taking six months. Mm-hmm. And so the condo didn't sell until December. So now I'm paying double double situation now i got a whole whole apartment down in houston i got this place here now honestly thank god i could afford it right mm-hmm. i'm in a different situation now where i couldn't pay one mortgage before now i'm paying a mortgage and rent and i'm like i'm not happy about it but i'm i'm fine stroking the checks i'm not hurting um but it's like you really start to question your entire life because nothing is going as planned. Not a single thing about my move to Houston went as planned. I was supposed to get there. I had set it up. I have two weeks to furnish my house. I sold all my furniture in my condo here and um, shipped everything down. Everything was supposed to arrive five business days later. It took a month to arrive. So all I brought with me is my one suitcase and I have nothing and it comes a month late. So all these things and then Hurricane Harvey's here and then you know I'm back on the road speaking 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 and then my my stepfather passes away and so I didn't take that break where it's like thank god the funeral was in between this speaking engagement and this speaking engagement now I have time to go home for a week and do this and then the day after the funeral I'm flying because I'm on tour I'm a speaking tour and it's just like I wasn't I was ripping and running and making money but I wasn't happy Mm because I didn't have time to breathe and grieve and then I remember going, finally getting time to start back going back to therapy in December. And it was just like, my therapist was like, have you had time to stop? And like, you just moved. You've never lived away from home longer than a couple months. You just moved. You lost your, you lost your stepfather. You're in a whole new, and I'm in a whole new, I got a whole boyfriend now in Houston. I'm in a whole relationship. And it's like, all these things are happening. Have you taken the time to, and I'm like, no. And so it was that was it was tough for me because it was so many changes and I it was it was hard. It was actually very hard. Well, I would say the same way you tell people to take the time and look at their bank accounts, yeah. you take the time and reflect on you. I did. Got me got me a new therapist. I was like, <laughs> no, it doesn't thing. like I'm all about being my best self possible because I'm like, I can't help anybody else if, if I'm, I'm like, not, right. you know, over here trying to figure stuff out and so that was that was a dark time for me that I didn't even realize I was in a dark time I was just going mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling I was just going picking mm-hmm. up checks and flying and, like and I was cool with that I'm picking up checks I'm flying around <laughs> and no problem no financial worries because that was that used to be my worries right. but it's not my worries anymore that so was the happiness that was yeah and so it was it was it was it was dark and I think that's the other side of like entrepreneurs sometimes you you quote unquote make it or whatever I don't think I've made it but you start getting there and you're still not happy and that's that can be a dark moment Ladies, we've come to the end of the show. Um, I want to thank you both for being here and give you an opportunity to share your social media handles um, with our audience so they can stay connected with you. Uh, Raven, I'll let you go first. Please follow me on Envision Firm 
and that's E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N firm, F-I-R-M. And on Facebook, you can follow me at The Envision Firm. And you can follow my website is dominiquebroadway.com. Make sure you go sign up for your emails. We're launching so much new free financial education over the next year. Um, also, social medias are just, just Dominique Broadway. All right. And I want to thank our guests once again and um, welcome everyone back to the show next week wednesday 9 a.m uh stay tuned you can learn more about this segment and hear past broadcasts on our website wbbtalk.com um thank you kyle murdoch the producer and max myrick our program director until next time stay blessed